Coming up, readings beyond the raffle and Theoryland approved conjecture. Deep dive into the spells and scrolls of nerd culture. Absorb Stormlight. Home sympathy. Arnas, Sayadar, and Sayadin. This is Phantology. You may have heard of us. Alright, what's up, fantasy book fans? This is Steven, your host from Phantology, with my lifelong friend Ben. And a special guest today, we have once again an author. We have Richard Swan. Hello, everybody. Author of Justice of Kinks, which is coming out uh, next week, although by the time this episode releases, may just be like a day or two away from release. Uh, February 22nd, I believe, is the... Is that right? That That's the release date? That is correct in the US, yeah. Okay, so we're billing this as kind of like an anticipation for the release. Like, you should go out and and buy the books. And I and obviously, we're not going to do any spoilers. Uh, ben has read the book. I have not, actually. So I'll be... I, I definitely don't want to hear spoilers because I plan on reading yeah, okay. eventually. But uh, we just kind of want to... <laughs> You're hear, flying uh, blind. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we want to hear about the book, uh, Richard, and, and try to get people interested. So... Mm. Um, maybe to start, just okay. kind of give us, yeah, give us like a, you know, a blurb, give us something to, to get excited about. Why should we read? Of course. I think, um, the way I kind of have been thinking about it recently is, do you remember that bit in the revenge of the Sith when, um, Mace Windu has Chancellor Palpatine, uh, at the end of his lightsaber. And he says, he's too dangerous to be left alive. Um, and, uh, and he's about to kill him and, and Anakin obviously stops him from doing that. And, if you if you kind of think about that as a thought experiment, um, you know what Mace Windu was effectively about to murder Chancellor Palpatine. You know by you know legally it would have been an extrajudicial killing. There was no due process. He would have just literally hacked him to pieces with a lightsaber. Mm. But of course, and so you know in theory that is unethical. Yeah, I mean unethical. It's the wrong thing to do, right? It's murder. But you know in reality, of course, it absolutely would have been the right thing to do from a kind of broader you know ethical yeah, perspective yeah. you know and then depending on where you kind of sit on the kind of moral spectrum but of course i think you know few people would argue, i mean chancellor palpatine was was evil right i mean he was literally yeah. evil in a very kind of literal sense um and and many tens of thousands of people we presume died as a result of his actions and so if you look at the kind of the moral spectrum although as i say killing him would have been legally impermissible i think it would have been ultimately the right thing to do and if you kind of think about that and drill down, and I won't drill down into it, but if you think about it and uh, why it would have been right or wrong, um, I think that at the, core, at the core of that question, which I've already vexed, is, um, is, is at the justice of kings, which is, which is ultimately, you know, if you have a, a sort of a legal system, which is you know, a secular, uh, a fairly liberal, fairly rigorous, you know, system of common law, which kind of applies to everybody, um, which in the book it does, which is kind of one of its its great strengths in the Soviet Empire, is that no matter who you are, you're subject to this this law. Um, you know, what happens if it produces, you know, essentially the wrong outcome or arguably the wrong outcome? Um, and so it's a kind of exploration of that legal and ethical grey area, really, but with in a sort of secondary fantasy world. So when I was kind of pitching it to my agent, I kind of said, well, he's a bit of, if you take a bit of Robert Harris's Cicero 
trilogy and you kind of throw in a bit of CJ Sansom's Shard Lake, but then a bit of, you know, Geralt of Rivia, his kind of magical powers and, um, and a kind of Judge Dredd, sort of medieval Judge Dredd kind of, and, and you kind of melt all those things together. And, that, and that's kind of how I pitched it to him. And that kind of, that pitch made its way through to the, the publishers who obviously bought it. So that's the kind of, that's where I am with it at the moment. Yeah. That's awesome. I think one of my favorite parts of the book was they give it like almost teaches you about like um, morality and like about yeah. legal ethics. And then it causes you to question everything I just taught <laughs> yeah. you. So I thought it was, yeah, super fascinated by that. Absolutely. And, and I, you know, a lot of that is, it, it's, it's kind of entry, it's entry level stuff. I mean, I'm no, I'm not a philosopher, but it's, it's the kind of, when I was at university and I obviously did a law degree, I'm a litigator, that's my job. Um, and one of the modules of that law degree was was jurisprudence, which is is the theory and the philosophy of law. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of like, you know, there's just two big schools of thought, which is sort of consequentialism, which is the kind of, um, you focus on the, the ethical consequences of an action. And there's deontologi- deontologism, which is the action in and of itself. And so the deontologist would say, well, you know, the killing of Chancellor Palpatine is, is murder, murder is is unlawful killing and that is is wrong it's impermissible ethically the consequentialists would say yes but that is one death of an intrinsically evil man um mm. taken against a backdrop of the many tens of thousands of innocent people genuinely innocent people who who kind of stand to die if he isn't you know removed out of the equation and I, it's an it's something i've noticed a lot in in media over the last 10 20 years or so as i've been growing up there's a great reluctance amongst like Hollywood studios, for example, to have um, the heroes be anything other than moral absolutists. So yeah. what you will what you will notice when you watch a movie is, for example, you know, Captain America is a great example. Um, mm. You know, he, he, he won't kill anybody um, unless, you know, it's in some kind of self-defense, you know, yeah. um, and you just watch it and you think, goodness me, just kill Thanos just like airstrike him or something I mean just sniper him you know laser him from orbit just it is obviously legally and ethically correct to do that you know and it's the same with Chancellor Palpatine you know Gollum isn't just Gollum is planning to murder you Simon Frodo just just kill him (laughs) it's it's fine and I think um we get a lot of time these villains they they end up kind of dying from kind of they've overreached you know and they, and they mm-hmm. end up killing themselves or you know it's a it's a real it's almost like a form of moral cowardice on the part of the film kids. and i'm not just saying that just like kill everybody and solve all your problems mm. that's and, you know, as a lawyer we are very careful to not make absolute value judgments um and, and things like that and, and due process is extremely important um <laughs> we were just talking about uh like kind of all this these moral and ethical questions yes. it must have been like with your deep well of like knowledge from the law it must be hard to kind of condense that and make it super accessible in a book right like it's almost like yeah. explain it to me like i'm five but like in a fantasy book yeah exactly that and, and i think you know there's always a danger of overdoing it um and i think we we hit a nice you know during the editorial process and and the, the book that you've you've read and the first draft are not a million miles apart um uh-huh. so we we kind of hit a nice balance with it i think and i wanted to make sure that as a theme it was kind of fully explored because i felt like i had you know sort of allegory and then it, and it was a nice thing to explore but at the same time you 
you have a fantasy audience and they're going to want some action and, and kind of a, <laughs> yeah. bit more, you know, a bit more than just like a lecture on, yeah. on moral philosophy. <laughs> um, so I kind of had to work it in in a way that was hopefully a bit nuanced and a bit subtle. And so I think there's there's only one time in which sort of Ron Ball actually sits down and kind of tutors Helena. Um, yeah. And that was probably enough. And then the rest of the kind of the moral quandaries I kind of explore in the warp and the weft of, of the narrative. Um, yeah. And the other thing I snuck in as well is an explanation of marine insurance, which I'm especially... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was yeah. like, okay, all right. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I was like, is this a novel about uh, marine <laughs> fantasy insurance? Like, you know, yeah. I think it might be. Uh, underwriting. So, uh, yeah, but it, it, again, in a way that... Um, when I, I, you know, like every writer, I kind of write what I want to read. And I, and I think, sure. um, you know, I, I, I'm not a... I don't really go in much for the kind of the huge battle scenes, the action scenes. I think they certainly have their place in writing, but um, you know, that's a very visual medium and it's, it's difficult, I think, unless you're a very skilled writer to kind of make that really engaging. And I, mm-hmm. I'm more of the kind of reader. I really prefer the kind of the long conversations and the dialogue and the kind of the yeah. intrigue and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, I read the conversation about the, you know, the marine insurance, you know, medieval marine yeah. insurance. And I actually was, you know, so I actually really like this as a piece of writing. I was quite happy with it, but it hasn't, I, don't, <laughs> I haven't seen it in any reviews. So I don't know whether, it, how well it's doing at the kind of the, the meta of the, the review sphere, but, um, but yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. It's a, it's a, it's a balance and, um, and hopefully I've struck it. Yeah. Well, I, I also enjoyed it. I, I particularly enjoyed it because I think like 99% of people are going to have a pretty intrinsic understanding of how insurance works. Exactly. Mm. And so it's interesting to see like, oh, we know how this works. Like, let's see how like these like medieval people are going to like process all that, you know? And exactly so. right. And, and I think that's one of the great benefits um, of fantasy as a, um, as a vehicle for uh, exploring themes. And I, I've only just kind of got to the stage, I've been writing for years and years, and obviously for most of that time, it's been a hobby, but um, I've only just kind of, as I kind of hit my early 30s, I've, I've only just really started to get sort of comfortable with ex- using allegory and exploring kind of modern day mm-hmm. themes in, in writing. But I think when you look at the fantasy world, and the fantasy world is a kind of technologically and sociologically um, nowhere near as developed, obviously, as our kind of yeah, more, if we're taking the, the sort of the medieval analog, uh, which yeah. we are in this instance, although albeit a kind of a quite late medieval, um, it, it's it, you can you can use that as a, as a vehicle to really highlight modern day issues um, like a kind of a patriarchal society or you know law and justice or in this case sure. you know fantasy marine insurance, um, yeah. but in, <laughs> in in quite as exactly as you've just said in quite kind of like in quite stark terms so you know as you say you know as a reader you know that what they are talking about is insurance but for them it's this brand new fascinating brand new concept wow it's money for nothing yeah. you know so, and so and, yeah. and, and, and you can do that you can say well for goodness sake it sounds like it's just you know gambling money or nothing at all you know i'm just lining yeah. your pockets kind of thing and a lot of you know more jaded people would say that now but and so you can highlight the absurdity of certain things through the yeah. kind of that historical lens and that's why i really like fantasy as a medium yeah no, I totally agree with that. So I don't want to give any spoilers for the book. Um, but I one thing I really enjoyed about it was how it was a complete story, but it also left like a ton of things open for the future, right? Like yeah, I don't know yeah. if you read Mistborn. It kind of felt like the end of the mis- first Mistborn book in that respect. Like there's an ending, <clears throat> but it's really yeah. just like a prologue to like what, yes. what else is going to be happening. So that yes. was a cool balance. How did you like go about trying to like th- think through that? I think you know whenever whenever you write a series of of books, um, 
it, and this you know this just comes with kind of practice and experience writing but to my mind and I'm sure to every other writer's mind you know when you have a a book that is not the only book um you have to have you have to have two things right you have to have a book that is self-contained reading experience mm-hmm. so that you know I, I, mean, I hate cliffhangers right I, I you know I think they are as a device they have their place and like I, I mean I use them a lot in my internally in terms of you know the end of chapters and things and sure, I think yeah, they're yeah. a, a kind of great hook to keep readers kind of turning the pages but and you know use of foreshadowing and things like that but at the at the very end of it so one of my favorite ever books which is Hyperion by Dan Simmons oh sure yeah uh, is which was just a tremendous book I thought it was an absolutely brilliant book but it but it ends on a cliffhanger a really yeah. unsatisfying a really unsatisfying cliffhanger as well they literally just not almost nothing is resolved um and I was like that sucks you know that's this <laughs> yeah. this was an, this was like a 10 star book for me and now it's like a yeah it's still amazing but and yeah. so to my mind I think if you're writing a book in a series you have to you have to have a payoff so you've got yeah. you've got two storylines you've got the internal storyline and then you've got the meta storyline yeah and so you know just sort of use Lord of the Rings as an example you know, the fellowship of the ring but then in the first I'll use the movies because it's slightly different out of sync with the books but into the first movie the fellowship is broken so the, the fellowship aspect is done that storyline is now finished sam and frodo are approaching mordor to continue the meta storyline yeah but we as you could stop watching fellowship of the ring and be like that was a fucking great movie which it is yeah um and, and so you've got enough whereas and you leave a few threads to sort of keep going and so the the, the, the real difficulty i think is is hitting that balance with book two um yeah. and um mm-hmm. you know there's nothing new in that i think a lot of writers struggle with this and yeah i i am keen i mean i've i've finished book two i've handed it into my editor and i'm gonna get edits back on that in the next couple of weeks <clears throat> but um i was keen again to have another mystery running through it i like having every, every story has a mystery in it which is resolved so yeah. you the reader is like ah great you know i, I feel satisfied as a reader but you still got the overarching trilogy thread so we advance the trilogy in, in rock to three but each story has its own kind of payoff as well yeah. and that's just a, a matter of kind of structure and, and planning it in that way um and uh you know hopefully as you say it's it, i'm i'm not great at finishing series you know i'm i'm a huge i, I read a lot of first books and series and then i won't read <laughs> anymore um that's uh-huh. you know that's my kind of hobby vice and um and so for me, it's important that that first book and, and loads of people will read The Justice of Kings and they won't read the rest of the trilogy. You know, I, I know that for a fact. Um, that's what I would do. So <laughs> um, and so it was important to me to kind of to close it off. Like you can read The Justice of Kings and think that was a great story. You know, I'm probably not going to read the rest of it, but I enjoyed that one. Yeah. Um, I'd love you to read the rest of the trilogy, but uh, you, don't, you don't have to. And so that was something that was very much the, uh, the forefront of my mind as I kind of approached the, the structure of it. Mm. I'm back, Richard. I apologize. <laughs> so depending on depending on how we edit this, it may or may not be obvious that I was out for a bit with that internet, and now I'm, it's I'm quite all right. You were always yeah. a little bit. I was saying to Ben, you were a little bit blurry for me, but uh, now you're back to being crystal clear again. Ah, so okay. fingers crossed, it it stays that way. Indeed, yeah. They're putting in uh, fiber by my house, and I think uh, uh, okay. I think I'm struggling today. Put a spade through um, a cable. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, very well. Could have. <laughs> what, did, what did I miss? Uh, sounds like you're talking about uh, writing a one contained story versus a trilogy. That's right. And, and we, um, we just explored, uh, Ben told me that he was going to be a lawyer himself one day. So we were talking a little bit about the kind of the, the, ah, the legal yes, ethics, yes, yeah. Exp- yeah. exploring kind of modern concepts, but in a, in, a, in a fantasy setting where the reader kind of knows what you are 
driving it but you're kind of doing it in a kind of very rudimentary way so mm. using that as kind of a device because i said to um ben there's a kind of there's a section where they're explaining marine insurance but in a kind of fantasy legal setting which sounds incredibly boring but it, it isn't i hope it, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it drew me in i was like oh this yeah, is... yeah. and it, it connects to the overall plot too exactly so was, yeah, yeah yeah it was good um one thing i was interested in asking you about like reading it there's like all these small things that you did to kind of immerse the reader in the world for example mm-hmm. some of some words just had like different spellings like yeah i remember like connection was spelled like c-o-n and e-x-i-o-n right yeah, like, yeah, yeah. um and so how did you go because i don't think i've ever seen that before like how did like okay. was that just like i mean did you draw that from anywhere was that like your own brain that's a, that's a that's a Connection with an X is a is an old English spelling okay. of that. So you'll you'll still see that in legal circles in England. It's ah, it's kind of dying a bit of a death now. But uh, magical I with a K, you know, ma- uh, for example, it's another one I, I suspect you're, you're thinking of. And yeah, I, sure. Yeah. I, and I think um, you know. I, if you ever read any um, Black Library fiction, which is obviously the publishing arm of Warhammer Forty Thousand, and um, yeah, you know, I've read a few books of Dan Abnett's and which are very, very good. I like Dan Abnett a lot as a writer. Um, and he he was very kind of instrumental in kind of forming what the, the Warhammer 40,000 universe looked like in, in fiction um, back in like the early 90s or mid 90s. And I remember listening to an interview with him where he was like, I don't want to say you know, radio, because when I hear, and this is all, this is military, if you don't, if you're not familiar with it, this is like a military science fiction kind of, of setting, but it's kind of very gothic, very dark, very bleak, um, sort of almost quasi horror setting as well. And he was like, well, I don't want these guys, um, you know, shooting like a demon, you know, kind of from the warp and you're blowing it up with like lasers and things. I don't want them to say, I'm going to get on the radio because then it sounds like, either mm. like this, they're a SEAL team or like, you know, <laughs> you know yeah. Uh, and we want to kind of move away from that that kind of aesthetic. So, and I think certain words like magical, but with like a C, that that makes me think of like a magician. You know, that doesn't make me uh-huh. think of like sorcery. Um, so I wanted them to kind of refer to this arcana, this, these kind of magics mm-hmm. in, a, in a way that kind of felt art, like, like an archaic usage of the term. So, you know, connection is just an archaic spelling, you know, magical with a K is, is another archaic spelling. I just, you know, where, wherever I could, I used either foreign loan words like cloister, which is the German for cloister, which obviously I used in terms of um, the monastery. I didn't want to use monastery because I thought, again, monastery yeah. makes you think of, it puts you in mind of a very specific thing. And I wanted to kind of move away from that in, into a more like a secondary world setting. Um, and so it, it's just a way of kind of slightly uh, breaking the, your mind's link from modern yeah. concepts. You know, it's, it's as simple as that. No, well, it's super effective. Like, like I said, it was like, had a very immersing effect. Oh, um, great. I'm interested, like, do you, is there going to be an audiobook? And if so, like, how would you like go about like telling the narrator, like, Hey, that's a, that's a yeah. pronounce this this way. I don't know. It, there is an audiobook. Yeah, no, there's okay. uh, there's an audiobook. They did, um, they, they did, they got Lucy Paterson. Who's a, we, uh, we, we agreed early on that it had to obviously be a woman reading it because it's sure, a woman yeah. writing the book. And, um, and so Lucy Paterson, um, sort of did that. And I didn't have much. The only thing I really had to do with the audiobook was choose another narrator. So I got a choice of three and I chose her. Okay. Um, uh, so it was more kind of trying to get the right sort of timbre of, of her voice. Um, and then I produced a pronunciation guide, which actually was surprisingly difficult. Um, I think there's a lot of, the book is kind of like a kind of Teutonic, um, sort of Slavic, setting yeah. like a holy roman empire kind of baltic states setting and so um 
in terms of the analog, the sort of real world analog that I ended yeah. up using. And so it's mm. it's about, um, but a lot of people will say, you know, if you think of like an, the car, the car brand Audi, um, oh. some people will say Audi, which is mm. which is not actually the correct pronunciation. It's Audi. And so a, a lot of the time it was about getting that ow sound, the AU, the ow. So Lord Souser, for example, Lord Bauer, you know, it's, it, it was... It was, you know, and a lot of people will naturally say that anyway, but um, we got through a sample of, of one kind of audio book reading and, and a lot of the pronunciation was just a little, slightly off. I was like, okay, I'm going to have to kind of write this down. So it was, it was, that was my only real input into the audio book, but I think okay. she's, I've only had a sample of um, my audible credit I've used to buy my own audio book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not paying for it, but you know, I'll use my free credit. Um, so uh, I'll, I'm sure the rest of it's great. I'm really looking forward to listening to it actually and seeing kind of what she does with the voices and whether she, you know, modifies, she does different voices for different characters and things like that. Um, yeah. That was very exciting to, to listen to for sure. Oh yeah. So, so it sounds like your publisher is kind of handling a lot of that uh, yeah, side yeah, of yeah. things. Um, what was the journey like to kind of get started as, cause this, this is your first published book. Am I, yeah. am I correct in it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it um, is. Yeah. It's my first traditionally yeah, published book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there must've been, I mean, I, I know this is not an easy thing to, to get to. Mm. Uh, so what, what, no, yeah, no, no. Like? Yeah. Far from it. it, uh, it I mean, it, fantastic is the short answer. I, I've been writing for many, many years. Um, like a lot of writers, I started kind of like in my early teens. Um, and I just kind of one day decided I was it was something I was going to do. And it just became a thing that I did. It was just a hobby. And I ended up writing, you know, a lot. I mean, I've written about 20 or so books worth of, of fiction. Um, oh. And most of those just kind of, you know, sitting on my hard drive. I mean, they're you know, a lot of rubbish. But um, when it got to about 2015 or something, I... I kind of was like, what, what is this KDP? You know, people are kind of self-publishing now. And it seems like we're no longer in the realm of vanity press. You actually can, the tools are available to kind of self-publish and in, in, in quite an effective way. Um, and so, you know, I was, you know, I was a young, I was a lawyer. I was getting paid like a fairly decent you know, salary. So I was like, oh, I've got a bit of disposable income. I'm going to pay for a, you know, proofreader because they're quite expensive. And I'm going to pay for a, I didn't pay for an editor, but I paid for a, um, you know, the cover art and everything. And I kind of, you know, I created this play, it was a science fiction trilogy I, I ended up doing. And I'm still, you know, pretty happy with that trilogy. Um, and I sort of self-published that. But of course, with self-publication, there's like an immediacy to it. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you're working entirely under your own steam. So, you know, when I finished a book, I'm like, great, let's, you know, let's chuck it up on Kindle. It's, it's done. Mm. You know, and that can happen in a matter of days, really. And you kind of, you, you're kind of really holding the reins on all of that. So, I stepped away from self. Yeah, I, my first experience of self-publishing was quite good, actually. I, I got fairly decent traction with that science fiction trilogy, um, and then I, I, about two novels later, I had a much more typical self-publishing experience, which was that that just literally nothing happened. Like I self-published a novel, and it got like zero readers, and like maybe like sub ten downloads or something. And I was like, you know what? That was a lot of effort for you know very very little payoff, um, and that didn't used to be what it was about, but now I have tasted the, for, the forbidden fruit of having a re- readership. Um, you know, I want more. Um, and so I thought, okay, let's, 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 and being traditionally published it all had always been, of course, you know, like a, the goal. Um, and, you know, self-publishing is great, but I think there is a kind of third party validation when it comes to traditional publication, where a group of people have said, yes, this is, a good book you know 
pat on the back well done like we can mm-hmm. make some money out yeah, of this yeah yeah um and and so whereas anybody can self-publish um me included so you know you, you there's some great <laughs> stuff on there like i think um senlin ascends started oh, life yeah. as a self-published uh-huh. novel which is yeah, one of the best we, uh, books i've ever read we we sat down with josiah a few months ago and yeah 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 awesome He's, yeah yeah an amazing book like amazing. I, I, yeah not, nothing else like it i've ever read and i remember just being consumed by it i thought this is and it had that i know it's sort of what we're talking about but it had this very kind of uncanny feel to it like oh yeah you're reading and you're like i have no sense of place in this world like i he didn't describe any of the which i thought was a great strength he didn't describe any of the surrounding countries or the nation or anything and and it just had this kind of really unsettling feel to it that kind of made you feel like it was quite a dangerous oh it's brilliant book anyway um but he Uh self-published that right and that was a a runaway success so you can get some excellent books you could get loads of rubbish as well and you do um (laughs) and so that's the these are the pitfalls of self-publishing right and and very little to, to distinguish you from thousands of other people so traditional publishing was always something I wanted to achieve from when I was, you know, very young. And um, and so, yes, yeah, sorry, to answer your original question, I, they, you know, got, I got an agent. So basically I thought, right, well, it seems like the, the roadmap is you get an agent these days. So I wrote The Justice of Kings. It, it was just another book I, I had written, it, you know, like like the, the previous 19. It was nothing in, I liked it a lot. I thought, oh, this, I think this one's got some legs. I think this can go the distance in terms of mm. publication. So I'm not, I, I was tempted just to self-publish it. I very nearly did. And uh, a friend of mine, I asked him and I said, oh, George, what do you think? And he said, we well, tell you what, look, self-publishing will always be there. You're like, you'll be able to do that whenever you want. Why don't you, you know, mm. give the, the traditional publishing game a go first? And so I submitted it to about three agents. Um, one I never heard, well, maybe two I never heard back from. No, one I never heard back from, one said no. And then the third one, who's Harry, I was like, yeah, send me the whole thing. I really like it. Um, and so mm. from there, he kind of, we went through, like, and then he did some editorial comments as well. He was like, I think it needs to have a bit more action. And then I think the ending needs to be a bit more explosive. And there was that 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 whole action. I went, so I'm just trying to do it in a non-spoiler way. That whole scene at the end, um, mm-hmm. Ben, which you obviously know with, yeah. with the, the fighting, did yeah, not exist in the in the, in the, oh, in wow. the initial yeah yeah that's, okay, that, okay. that's all new so it, it was very much more of a kind of a court, a fantasy courtroom drama oh i could um, yeah, i could imagine that yeah, yeah 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 so the trial was kind of like the end of the book um uh-huh. and it and it was a bit more like you can handle the truth kind of you know thing. Yeah. And that was the, the payoff and then he was like i mm. think we need to kind of have a bit more fighting here and he was absolutely right <laughs> and it is a much better book for it um and so we did that and then he was like i'm gonna send it off i've got yeah, i guess sent it to the big five i'm gonna send it to orbit Galanks, you know tor door um the other one um and uh so he did and then he was like look they might all say no don't be disheartened We'll just write another book. You know, that, you know, a lot of this happens a lot of the time. Just write another book. I don't just write another book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, no worries. I've got a couple more. And um, <laughs> and so anyway, Orbit came back really quickly and said, um, "What's going on? You know, have you spoken to anybody else about this?" And Harry was like, "Yes." And um, and they and um, and yeah, basically they just they preempted it. So um, James, who's now my editor, was like, "We love it." Like you know, basically you know, give us a number in terms of the um in terms of the advance so they ended up you know paying a very large sum of money for it which is very kind of them um and uh and they bought it that way but i found my just and the whole reason i talked about the self-publishing aspect of it was the traditional publishing aspect has been very slow um so and my agent said at the very beginning it's like look 
is there's going to be um, this is a this is a very exciting time. We bought the book. We've got a great deal. It's fantastic. It's all going to go quiet again, you know, and and nothing will happen for like a good few weeks. And you need to be prepared for that. You need to be prepared for like the odd spike of excitement and engagement, but then like weeks of nothing, like complete yeah. radio silence. Because you know, ultimately, as the author, uh, the only thing I'm really gen- like responsible for is is the is the writing of the novel, and and practically everything else is taken care of by Orbit. And yeah, of course they consult with me about different things, like you know, what does von Vault look like, you know, for the cover art, and what does the map look like, and things like that. But you know, ultimately mm-hmm. they have the final creative say on how it's how the book looks and how it's produced. And so it was, um, it was, and this was, gosh, this was back in September twenty twenty. So you know, it's it's been wow. a long road. Yeah, yeah. No kidding. Yeah, they have like they have publishing windows, um, so. They like to release books at a certain time of year and they couldn't, you know, it was too late to hit the publishing window for kind of fantasy in 2021. So they kind of pushed it to 22 and they wanted to add like mm. about 30,000 words to it, which is almost exactly what we did add to it and, you know, things like that. So, you know, it, 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 the traditional publishing process has been very um, eye-opening and just kind of how, uh, how, just how slow it was and how kind of low intensity it was and, you know, so I've just had to get in those early months, as you can probably imagine, I was kind of refreshing my emails like, you know, every yeah. five minutes and, you know, just super excited about it. And then, of course, mm. um, you know, now I've just made my peace with the fact that uh, it works at its own pace. And that's just not in line with my own, you know, <laughs> wants and desires and uh, it's probably never going to not be that way. So, um, so, yeah, that was a difficult thing to get used to for sure. Yeah, from what I've seen following other authors along and, and their social medias and such, it seems like about a year before the book is published, they're like talking about how they've just submitted their uh, their final draft. And, and then like a year later, it actually comes out. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm actually quite far it. As I said, um, my book two is written and I don't know how much that will be edited but um you know probably a lot more than book one was because i had a bit more time to write book one but um you know i'm i'm kind of thirty thousand words into the first draft of book three now and um Mm. you know book one hasn't even come out yet so i'm i'm so far ahead of the curve um that it's you know the other day i was like oh yeah i've got a bit of time to kind of explore other projects you know and can i get an early steer on this idea that i had and Mm. i just sort of pitched to my agent and he was like yeah sounds great let me ask james and who's my editor at Orbit and James was like look you know like <laughs> I'm sure it's great but you know we're just we are so far ahead here I, I can't even begin to kind of give you any guidance you know it's you know we, we have no idea how well Justice of Kings is going to do you know obviously we hope it's successful mm, yeah, but it might yeah. not be and you know all the rest of it so I, I would I would hate to or we might you know we might more we might want you to write more books you know, with these characters or in the, you know, the Empire of the Wolf, or we might want you to not do that. Or so, you know, it was, it's just way too early. So at the moment, I'm just kind of poking around on other ideas, mm. but there's really not much else for me to do except kind of finish the trilogy and see how that performs, you know, so commercially. Um, so well, that, that. that does bode well for readers of the books, because one thing people always are hesitant on getting into a new series is like, it's, it's book one, who knows when the author's going to finish the entire trilogy, but you know, if, if we can tell them like, Hey, we're making uh, rich is making great progress on. Oh yeah. Yeah. Book, for sure. Three at this point. Yeah. That's, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I'll, I'll, the, the whole trilogy will be finished this year. I'm, I'm certain of that. Like, um, as I say, I'm, I'm very far ahead of it, but yeah, people have a, a, a weird, 
I'm so I'm not a huge fantasy reader. I haven't been like I, I read way more sci-fi than I do fantasy, and mm. so I haven't really been part of the. Uh, I've, yeah, I've read plenty of fantasy over the years, but I, I I haven't really been part of the fantasy kind of microcosm or discourse over the last uh-huh. you know, three, four, five years. And so now that I am, I'm just I'm very late to the party, and I'm I'm just I'm I'm just finding out people are obsessed with this idea, like consumed by this idea that the author might not finish a series. It's like has that, yeah, apart from like one example, or like maybe two, it's a Pat Rothfuss <laughs> and then like George yeah. Martin. Apart yeah, from we those are thinking, guys, we are thinking those uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, is there anybody else not done it? Like, you know, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. It's um, you know, it's and so much is. Yeah. And you see every, all the authors will come out the woodwork and say, look, if you don't buy our books, so that we can't write more books. You know, it's, this is a business yeah. model that relies on people buying the first book and getting that churn. And so if you wait, which is absolutely correct, by the way, like that is literally how the business works. So if the Justice yeah. of Kings performed really badly, that would that'd probably be it for my like writing career. Yeah. Like that, that I'm contractually, they have to publish the second two, but that's it. Like, you know, and then... Yeah. Yeah, that would be so it's it is slightly frustrating to see this kind of um like a chicken before the egg type thing like exactly gotta, yeah exactly yeah so um it, it becomes self-fulfilling after a while if people kind of hold yeah. out for the whole series i was gonna say as a fan i think the most important thing is like the communication aspect right it's like mm. hey if you're like i i want to wait till for like a finished polished product you know what i mean like take however long exactly. you want just like mm. communicate mm. that you know what i mean definitely so, I, yeah and how, and a blog is like you know it's a good way of doing that, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it's, a, it's just a record of your uh, you know program is as dry as it can be to read. You know, sometimes if, that, yeah. if people are looking for that comfort, then you know there it is. Um, yeah, yeah. Sometimes people literally just need like one Reddit post saying like, "Hey, I'm writing, just so you know, yeah, still alive, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, still doing it." <laughs> yeah, and from experience, like there are author like a uh, like um, Scott Lynch is another one that has a super successful um, series out there that is yet unfinished, but he's communicating like, Oh, like right. I'm struggling with these aspects, you know, like, yeah, and yeah. I'm just like, fine. I, I will wait. I will happily wait. Absolutely. You know what I mean, well, yeah. that's it. Yeah. And you want, they want the final product to be the best, the yeah. best possible. I mean, I saw Andrea Stewart pushed um, the bone shards, the bone shard emperor. I think it's the third one back by six months or something. And she just tweeted mm-hmm. about it. And everyone was like, yeah, great. Cool. You know, yeah. thanks for letting us know type thing. That's what, you know, it's what it takes, but but it doesn't sound like we're going to get that from you, Richard. It sounds like you're like, uh, you're going <laughs> to, Oh no! I'll, I'll be done. I mean, it. yeah. It, it, as for all I've just spoken about, how long it can be, it can also be like tremendously short. I mean, yeah. I've seen people being like, "Yeah, I just turned in my first draft of you know book book one over like six months before publication." So they they obviously can turn on the taps when they need to. Um, it's um, but yeah, you know, as I say, there'll be no unless I die, which I suppose is always a possibility. Um, <laughs> you know, the the trilogy will be very much finished in the next kind of six months or so. I think. So That's you talked awesome. about some uh, some radio silence along a long uh, process to getting published um, in the first place. Now we're a week away at time of recording, and by the time this comes out, you know it'll probably be right around the time that the book is released. So, so what are the feelings now? Like, uh, uh, an- yeah, an- yeah, anxiety, excitement, or yeah, how's I, it going? I, I think it's an, it's it's certainly an odd feeling because you know as a as a writer, you know, I'm not getting into like an office or anything where I'm surrounded by the writers and. You know, as fun as that would be. Yeah. Um, so they're not going to like the Orbit office where I sit at my desk and write the uh-huh. novels, um, which is probably the future of writing. But um, the uh, and so you know, ultimately on the day of publication, I will still get up in the morning and just have like a day in my apartment. And so 
it's 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 I I I'm preparing myself for a kind of strange anticlimax. But I what I am going to do is um is I'm going to go into town and uh, and pick up a, a hard copy, obviously, and then tell the cashier that I wrote it. No, they won't <laughs> care, but I'm going to do uh-huh. that anyway. Um, and obviously have the obligatory photo of myself with it. I've got um there's another writer out here in Sydney called Jeremy Sal who um is a science fiction writer. He's got a couple of books out at the moment, so I'm going to go grab some beers with him on the 23rd and just have a bit of a celebration and obviously some champagne with my wife um but yeah I think it'll be I think it'll be weird I think the thing I'm I've got used to seeing like reviewers reviews like you know kind of professional sort of semi-professional reviewers um uh-huh. you know, who've all got the kind of advanced copies of seeing their reviews and I always think I always think that the reviewers who get like advanced copies generally tend to be a bit more kind of um what's the right word well professional I suppose is the right word in terms of they they give the book a fair shake they're kind of at pains to kind of um you know not say oh this was a piece of shit and I hated it um and they kind of approach it with a kind of a sort of um they don't want to burn bridges that's for sure no exactly (laughs) yeah yeah there's a there's a a vested interest in them kind of turn like doing good work on the review and even if they didn't I don't I don't mind if people say well of course I don't mind any review really but if someone says yeah, you know what, like, I can see why this book is, is makes a lot of people happy, but for, it wasn't for me, or, you know, I didn't really like the writing style yeah. or something or whatever. That, mm-hmm. That's absolutely fine. I think one, I think what I'm slightly nervous, and I try not to read too many reviews, especially on a, a day where I'm writing, because I think if you read a bad one, it kind of torpedoes mm-hmm. your writing efforts for that day. But I think, um, I think what I'm slightly anxious of is like the, what is hopefully a wave of, um, of like, layman reviews like you know the, the general reading public where like the good reads yeah. comment section yeah, yeah. exactly uh-huh. where people you know and and, and, it's, and it's an odd relationship because i obviously speak to reviewers on, on twitter and whatever and i get tagged in reviews and i take i only get tagged in nice reviews obviously um but uh, <laughs> and so there's this kind of there's a weird kind of i mean parasocial aspect yeah. to our relationship and so Mm-hmm. I was talking to Alan, actually, um, who you may know uh, of a library of Alexandria, um, and I'm having a chat with him tomorrow, actually. And he was a kind of very kind of early and enthusiastic adopter of the Justice of Kings. And he's been very nice about it. And I was saying this to him on Twitter. I was like, but what happens if you don't like book two? You know, we, we obviously have like a nice friendly relationship now, but would there not be a slight awkwardness? I mean, would you, because yeah. I, would, <laughs> I would hate for him to feel compelled yeah, yeah. to say nice things about you know the second book like that's the last thing i would want i wouldn't want people to to feel like they have to say nice things but you know would you not feel a slightly compelled like if you'd built up a relationship with someone to you know a little bit of pressure to maybe either say something nice or nothing at all hearing you talk about this is so fun because it's like the exact type of moral quandary that like i just can tell you love writing about you know like, <laughs> just, like absolutely you just like yeah. get in these like situations like oh man what what would happen here you know yeah no but exactly but it's it's all it's it's a, it's an odd kind of i mean these are all explorations of the kind of you know these his human dynamics and i think there is a risk that you get people who who feel compelled to say things that they don't necessarily believe in but i think you know, it's it's the unguarded reviews of the people who don't know me from Adam, um, yeah. who who will say, oh, you know, this book is a piece of shit, and I hate the author. I think he's a dick. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, you know that. And so you you learn obviously you learn nothing from it. And but I've been guilty of that as well. I mean, me as a reader, you know, I read. Um, I said you know before I love Peter Hamilton. I think he's a fantastic writer. He's a science fiction British science fiction writer who I don't think either of you know, but he's tremendously popular. Yeah. Um, and uh, and he wrote a book called Great North Road. 
And I thought Great North Road, you know, it's a, it's a well-written book. You know, Peter Hamilton is a good writer. Um, I'm sure he'll be thrilled to hear me say that. <laughs> the fuck <laughs> is this? Um, but... Um, <laughs> But you know, he's a good, but but I did like the book, and I thought this is this book is way too long. This is like four hundred pages too long. Like, there's, there's not enough happening to sustain this kind of word count. But I was kind, mm. kind of kind of brutal about it in my my review, and so it, I think it's easy to be. It's extremely easy to be negative in reviews. Oh yeah, either. everyone's yeah. a cynic these days. Of course, and like, and even yeah. even a book that you like, you know, which or even an objectively like okay book. It's still easy uh-huh. to kind of pick up on a few things and say, oh, you know, I hated this, you know, bit. Or it really fucked me off. And and so I think um, I think it's that kind of unguarded review that you know, and I've got a fairly thick skin. I'm a, you know, you can't be a litigator and not have one. But I yeah. think um, once you have spent you know a year or something, you know, writing something and kind of crafting it, and it's gone through that. And and mm-hmm. you know, of course, you've had dozens of people say oh this is a, this is an amazing book you know my editor my agent everyone's like that's a fantastic book and all the early reviewers being what a, you know, an amazing book and then of course you kind of start to think oh maybe this book really is the next big thing and then of course you know then you see like you know, a net galley or something and someone is like god this was the worst piece of shit i've ever read you know <laughs> it's like whoa <laughs> and it really kind of brings you back down to earth which obviously is important. yeah i mean i doubt there's too many early reviews like that like imagine if you were the one who read game of thrones back when it was yeah. published and, and posted a blog about how terrible <laughs> it was like yeah, yeah, yeah. Your, your review career is not going very yeah. far and an objectively good book by any standard um yeah. no of course and but you will but you will see reviews of like you know great classics of literature where people are like oh this is really boring and you know just fucking rubbish yeah. book and it's off you know a tale of two cities or something you know it's one of these great pillars of you know english yeah. literature that people just kind of give one star to and so it's <laughs> yeah. it's so i think um you know from as a i think that's the thing i i'm and, and of course you know at the moment i'm writing you know full time i'm I, yeah, i'm taking a break from the law since we moved out to sydney last october i'm kind of just concentrating mm. on this is something that i've i've always wanted to be a full time writer so you know financially we're in a position where i can do that but um you know there's there's always that that worry isn't there you know well it's not it, it may not be a particularly sustainable you know i've never yeah. i've never had my you know career so in my hands and the hands of other people like it's mm. if the book is well received it, it'll be a success and people will buy it and they'll be able to write more books but if it isn't that's kind of the end of it and obviously as an employed salaried lawyer that was you know bar you know putting a foot completely wrong and you know fucking up a case or something that that was yeah. never really a risk you know i always had people i was accountable yeah, to partners yeah. and the senior associates yeah. and things and that isn't the case here you know the buck stops here and so that's the kind of confronting um mm. you know uh, thing as well so um i think um the, 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 it feels a lot the stakes feel a lot higher i think in a way that my previous you know, writing and novels and self-published stuff, you know, didn't, you know, and I would get mm. like a negative review on a self-published book and I would literally laugh because I think what a fantastic review, you know, it's pretty accurate. These books are a bit shit and you yeah. know, that, that, that's kind of funny, but now I get a negative review and I think, you know, shit, is that one less person who's going to buy the book? You know, is it going to be, a, you know, slightly less successful as a result of that review? And you know, the power sometimes that these reviews have is, is quite kind of elemental. And so I think, um, you know, there's a, there's a, as, as much as I love being where I am now, there's a slight anxiety that, you know, comes with that as well. Mm. Uh, you know, yeah. being kind of thrust into the limelight in such a profound way. Well, just so you know, like from our perspective, there's a lot of hype around around this book, like from oh, like our little niche, like <laughs> reviewer community. So yeah. it's a very yeah. niche community. Yeah, very niche. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, well, that's uh, a very pleasing to hear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fingers crossed it translates into the wider reading public. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I will say. But, but you're right. Like if uh, if a reviewer like a Daniel Green on YouTube uh, reviews something and says, yeah, you know, it was all right. It wasn't super great. Like, I'm sure that's devastating. Yeah. yeah. Well, it must be, right? Yeah. If you've got it, especially if you've got a huge platform, because a lot of people will be like, you know, I've seen comments where people have been like, ah, I probably won't pick this one up then, you know, if you, if you didn't like it. Yeah. You know? And it's like, no, you know, it's just yeah. shaking yeah. the street. Like, don't listen to him. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I will say, I want to, I want to get this in. I don't want to forget about it because this, you've earned a badge in my book because there's a first, like, so never in my life have I had this happen to me, but I was very sick one day while I was reading your book. Mm. and the book actually so i had thrown up earlier in the day but right. one of the scenes in the book actually prompted another throw up no so, way <laughs> and that was never like i've read some pretty like dark stuff and just for like people out there the book has some violent parts of it but the majority of the book is not violent like you're not like getting into a joel abercrombie right so that's right um but there was yeah it was a battle scene and there's this thing that happened and i just like yeah i i threw up oh, go on. So you've got you've got to tell me which one bit it is now well, it was um, uh, somebody had his head split open. Oh, far. okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it was uh, I don't know something. I was just picturing that scene so vividly, and it, um, yes, yeah. So that was I, I've that... never had that happen. I hopefully will never have it happen out since. So. I'm just, I'm so pleased you said that because um, <laughs> the so I I wrote so I you know much probably like you guys you know I grew up um the, you know. 9-11 happened when I was about 12, I think, and uh-huh. the, global war, the global war on terror, you know, kind of dominated all the headlines, you know, my teens and early 20s and mm. all the, everything that came with it. And, and, and so, and the internet being the Wild West it was back then, you know, there's a lot of live leak and kind of videos yeah. of guys getting blown up by tanks and things. And my dad was a you know, fighter pilot, so he spent some time mm. in the Middle East as well. So I was very in that world and you know it was a huge influence on me and my writing um mm. especially kind of my my, my, sci- my sci-fi self-published stuff but um and so and, that, and that's another sorry that's another theme that i've carried through into this book which is that kind of like what, realism what, yeah and, and what yeah. does like what is a society that you know it sort of ex- expounds these kind of liberal you know, western values if i can call them that you know, human rights and all the rest of it um you know what does it do when it kind of runs up against uh, an enemy that, that has no respect for those you know those values and will do kind of atrocious things and you know and so you, what do you end up with you end up think, with things like guantanamo bay and, and all that kind of stuff which is a whole different conversation but mm. i think you know and and that was again something i've always interested in, in exploring and, and that's a very ian banks um you know if you're familiar with the culture series um you know that's something that he does with his kind of special circumstances division which he explores you know this kind of ultra liberal utopia but they have this kind of branch which is dedicated to kind of performing the kind of operations that they very publicly shun and distance themselves from yeah um and so i it's a very roundabout way of saying this but so i've seen a lot of like horrible stuff on the internet you know like really like gen, genuinely gory you know real life gory things mm-hmm. uh, which no one should have to, to look at by any stretch um and uh, and so i was like i was i was trying to when i was writing the book i was trying to bring that kind of visceral you know, gore, because yeah. also if you think about like a medieval battle, right? It's, it's absolutely horrible. And if you ever listen oh, to, yeah. um, have you heard of uh, oh, what's his name? The guy who does his uh, hardcore history, Dan Carlin, does a hardcore history podcast. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. yeah. 
So he does a he does a great series on um, the Achaemenid Persian Empire and the kind of Hellenistic Wars, and he talks for a podcast basically about an ancient battle. So you know, a battle between some Greek heavy infantry and some kind of you know, Persians, and what form that would actually take. And mm. you know, and and they he looks at kind of historical sources and kind of contemporary sources and it was something like if you know these kind of these sword cuts they're kind of they're cutting into the flesh and they're severing kind of all these arteries and things and because of the way the wounds work you're actually spilling vast vast quantities of blood and and it's something like you know he worked out that basically every corpse is is leaking a couple of liters of blood say um and if you and if you have ten thousand casualties that's you know, however many thousands of gallons of blood and yeah. you would you would have um and there were contemporary sources of like battlefields with the, with the topsoil just absolutely saturated to a depth of a couple huh. of feet with with blood Jeez. and so you know and he's just horrific battlefield you know spear through the brain and brain so three three hundred is uh pretty accurate then with yeah the yeah gore. exactly yeah exactly absolutely historically accurate 300 and um <laughs> and so i thought i was trying to sort of bring that kind of level of realism i was thinking and i remember yeah. reading about um one of the battles i think it was the battle of tadworth which was the one of the last medieval battles in england it was um during the wars of the roses which is obviously what <clears throat> george martin writes a lot about in his game of thrones book and mm-hmm. uh, there was one particular uh, instance in that where they had guys they found skulls with their molars having having cracked because they were so terrified before uh, the battle geez. that they were they were clenching their jaws so they were cracking their jaws and dan carlin said something similar in, in the greek in the macedonian phalanx they would have guys just literally shitting down their legs they would have you know diarrhea kind of trickling down their legs they were of course, as you would be, right? It's a yeah, terrifying yeah, experience. Yeah. And so I wanted to try to capture some of that viscerality with with, with the battle scene and uh, mm. just, just really make it quite yeah. horrible and graphic. But having said all of that, um, what I thought was quite graphic. And then the, the feedback has been, yeah, there's some violence in this book, but it's, you know, it's fairly tame or you know, it's fairly standard. <laughs> I was like, what? what? Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what it's are you like, reading? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that it's that way because it is contained to certain parts of the book. But right. I mean, like, it's not like you have to worry about um, about something crazy happening every page. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I do, yeah. So that's, yeah, I... I was like, I, what? Because I, 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 I didn't read a massive amount of contemporary fantasy fiction I'm, I'm i'm changing that now especially because you know a lot of my contemporaries now saying very nice things about my book um so uh, but you know I, I still haven't read like really violent yeah you should sections. read jo- uh, have you read joel abercrombie? abercrombie yeah have you read I, him i started um what was it first law or something yeah first law yeah yeah uh-huh. a, a long time ago but um i, I don't know I, i'm i'm like i'm joe abercrombie is a and a phenomenal yeah. writer, he has, he has yeah. legions of fans, so I don't think you'll mind me saying this, but it didn't really like draw me in. And as much. Yeah. yeah, and so I kind of put it to one side, but that was years ago, so I'll give him another go. Yeah. But he's obviously massively popular in the, yeah. in the fantasy community. I think honestly, like your uh, description of like battle and stuff reminded me a lot of his work. So, I mean, that's oh, really? a big compliment to you. That's um, a huge compliment. Yeah, thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, but it was th- like that visceralness, but it, right. with his, mm-hmm. it's like more like. It could happen next page, you know, like a, a yeah. At any be, at any time, there could yeah, be yeah. Like some you'd be walking through a street and get your head bashed in. Yeah, and it's, right, it's, right. It's not just war; it's torture and all kinds of yeah. other like domestic okay. violence, like anything's on the on the table. Okay, because <laughs> I wanted to 
with the and I've done this a little bit in book two as well because there's another battle in book two. You've got to have the obligatory battle. The, that's <laughs> my that's my Helm's Deep is book two. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, okay. Nice. You know, uh, it's it's not the siege of Minas Tirith, but it's uh, there is a Helm's Deep in there, and I think um, you know, I, there's a, what I want to capture in in each book is that kind of. Well, one thing I'll never do is sexual violence. I, I, I don't think there's, you know, there's enough yeah, of that. That's a good call. Real, yeah. yeah, there's enough of that in the real world without having to kind of delve into the, that. But um, so mm. I, as a rule of thumb, I'll, I'll never do that. And, and uh, I have no plans of ever doing it. But, uh, you know, actual violence, you know, fine. And, and I, I, I sort of like, I like to be kind of egalitarian with my violence in terms of like men and women. So if you have women soldiers, you know, and men soldiers, yeah. then it's fair game. Everybody's going to get, you know, messed yeah. up. Right? Um and so there, there is a kind of, there are a few scenes in book two where there's kind of, again, what I want to do, as I say, is like have one shocking moment. So I think one thing George Martin does exceptionally well, I mean, there's a lot of things exceptionally well, but one of the things he does well, and they, they capture this really well in the TV series as well, is he's, he's very good at having like these one standout, like blockbuster shocker moments that everyone is talking mm. about, like the Red Wedding, for example. Yeah. Um, and one yeah. of the ones for me was... Um, the bit where is it Oberyn Martell? I can't remember. He gets his head smashed in. Yeah, the the viper, the red yes, viper. Yeah, yeah, the red uh -huh. viper. He gets his head. He gets his head like literally crushed. Yeah, I remember, I remember watching that on the TV. I've read all of the books, but I remember watching the TV series. And uh, I, I was, I turned the TV off after I was, I was like, "Fuck!" I was just sat there for <laughs> ages. I was like watching Pedro yeah. Pascal's like lifeless corpse, just like you know, lying there, and it really stayed with me for a really long time. Another one was. Um, what you initially think is the is the 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 the, the burning and tiring of of um the Stark boys um by um oh Theon Theon Greyjoy yeah and yeah the, yeah the yeah. of Roderick Castell sorry massive spoilers there um mm. but um but everybody's read it so it's okay um and again like <laughs> it just sat with me for ages and the music is playing this horrible kind of demented music and he's kind of hacking the head off you know Roderick Castle yeah because he um, can't like, get it through the first time and exactly yeah, yeah. And it's just yeah. this horrible brutal scene and again it just lingers with you afterwards and I, so I wanted like and there's a the bit in that I can't I won't spoil it but it's the bit with Justice August um Ben you'll know that bit yeah that that's yeah. the kind of I wanted people to kind of see that and 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 be shocked by it and be like oh yeah. fuck you know that's actually pretty horrible if you really think about yeah. it and so there's yeah. another scene like again like that in you know in and amongst all the kind of the battlefield gore and things. There's another scene like that in book two where I just want people to kind of not in a gratuitous way, but I just want it to be like a talking point where people are like, oh, do you remember that bit when this happened mm -hmm. and it was really fucking gross? And so yeah. I think every 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 book you know like should have one of those. And so that's kind of what I'm shooting for with the gore. But I think you know as with anything, less is more. And I think if you saturate yeah. novels with you know people getting their heads smashed apart, then it, it becomes a bit old hat. Yeah. I agree. I, I can see that. <laughs> well, we've uh, we've kept you for a while. For a while, should we uh, should we end? <laughs> Absolutely. We end sorry. On the, on yeah. the graphic violence. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I, I did warn you. I talked a lot. So. Um, uh, no, this is this is great. <laughs> is there <laughs> is there anything like uh, like how can fans reach you? How do they like interact with you? Like yeah, camp, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I, I do have a Twitter account. I think that's definitely the best place to do it. Um, okay. I, I like to be fairly active on, on Twitter. Um, but I have a website as well. Um, and, and that's got my blog on and a few other bits and pieces mm. um, as well. So, um, but that again, the, the link to my website is on Twitter. So I have an Instagram page too, but that I don't, <laughs> I have a separate family <laughs> Instagram account, which I was like, well, that's my kind of, that's thing for my friends and family. So I'll create yeah, an yeah. awful one. But then I realized, <laughs> 
I've got I've got nothing to upload to this. Like, <laughs> so many pictures mm. I have that are related to my my work as a writer. So that's pretty slow. But yeah, definitely mm. Twitter is. Uh, I'm on there every day, and it's a horrible, horrible website that monopolizes <laughs> way too much of my attention. But there we go. Awesome. Yeah. And then uh, with with the Justice of Kings coming out next week, is there any specific way that fans can support you, or say, like anything that you would say, like if you're if you're going to buy the book, buy it from this location or in this way, or does that matter at all? I don't think so. I think they um, they any like reputable bookshop does like a thing called book scan which is a kind of global database of book sales and so you know yeah and so that's how they track things like you know bestsellers Mm. and things because it all goes into kind of one central location so you know pre-order pre-orders are fantastic you know pre-orders are a huge indicator of success and um so you know by all means please pre-order it please just buy it from anywhere i'm not picky if you need to buy it from amazon buy it from amazon i'd much prefer you buy it from an independent bookshop but I, the only thing is, it's a numbers game. I need to get those numbers up. I want people to buy it however they can um, for me. So, you know, leave your ethics at the door, buy it from <laughs> an arms dealer if you have to. You know? <laughs> I have to make a success of this. <laughs> okay. Ah. okay. Uh, we... Thanks so much, guys. I've really enjoyed chatting. Yeah, yeah same. Thanks, thanks so much. All right. All right. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye.